We are very pleased to welcome today's expert, Judith Bass, a certified educational planner. Dr. Bass, when you are ready to begin. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, my name is Judy Bass. As uh, you heard, I'm a certified educational planner. I work exclusively with students who have learning differences in ADHD, executive functioning issues, and helping them in the transition to college. So hopefully today I can give you some information that will help you facilitate a smooth transition to college. Parents, could this be you? Life is what happens when your mom is busy making other plans. Okay, how many of us as parents are doing all the work for our children with ADHD or executive functioning issues because they're not interested in doing it? So we keep helping and helping and helping. Um, so this might be you, and we're going to talk today about some ways to help your son or daughter become more independent and advocate for himself or herself. So the steps for independence are very important factors in considering readiness for college. Uh, for any student high school age or older, these students should be very accepting of their ADHD. It's not helpful to say that I can do it alone. Students need to accept how they learn and use their strengths to do their best. Students need to be aware of their strengths and their weaknesses. They need to be comfortable with their learning style, and they need to be able to articulate what their learning style is to their teachers and to their parents. What I usually recommend is once your child has had some updated testing in high school, that you make an appointment for the psychologist to speak with your child and to go over in terms that he or she can understand what the results of the assessment means. What are the issues that the student is experiencing? How can the student help himself or herself to learn better? What are the things that are getting in the way? And the student, again, should have a very good understanding of how he or she learns. All of these will lead to good self-advocacy skills because once students are aware and accepting, they're better able to evaluate their educational options. For example, if you have a child who understands that as much as he loves the large environment of a big university, that sitting in a classroom of 500 students or even 100 students is not a good way for him to learn. So once he understands that a smaller setting helps him learn better, he's more likely to understand why he should look at smaller colleges. Students who develop good self-advocacy are more likely to be successful when they go to college. Parents, many of you have been advocates up to this point, and by junior year, students need to be responsible for themselves. It's in their best interest to start taking on some of the responsibility for their learning. For example, in terms of life skills, can your child wake himself up in the morning? Or are you still waking him up? Can your daughter take her meds herself? Does she know what the dosage is, what the name of the medicine is? Can your son do his own laundry? How does he manage money? Is he impulsive with it, or is he a saver? 
Can your child explain to a teacher what accommodations she needs and why? It's very difficult to be independent at a college without having these life skills, without being able to handle the living part of college. Many students can handle the academic part, but they need to start taking responsibility for themselves now. To gain independence, students need to accept themselves and be responsible. And it takes maturity and it develops over time. This is not something that happens overnight, but the earlier you can start, the more likely your child is going to be mature and ready for college. An additional preparation for college involves academics, extracurriculars, and community service. We know that students with ADHD need to be challenged and need to be engaged in their learning. So your child needs to take challenging courses, even if he's not going to get the best grades. Because as some of you may know, students who have trouble with executive functioning or ADHD may be learning a lot in the class, and that's not reflected in their grade, because the grade if it's lower, is more likely due to missing homework assignments or having done the homework and not handing them in or not understanding the directions, not the academic piece of the course. So make sure your child is being challenged and that's going to give him the best education. Extracurricular activities keep students active and gives them exercise. Okay, that is also helpful in being able to settle down and sit through the classes. And community service gives students a feeling or a sense of purpose and helps them learn to care about others. Now, we don't need, for college, students do not need an exorbitant amount of extracurricular activities or community service. One or two extracurricular activities and one long-standing community service activity, even if it's just a few hours a month, um, are enough for students to have that sense of serving their community and the activity level. And so when we talk for, about readiness for college, uh, look at the three-legged stool here and think about the first three uh, topics here, academic ability, level of independence, and emotional stability. What would happen if we remove one of the legs from the stool? Okay, of course it would collapse. So each of these three are equally important. You may have a child who's academically top of his class, but if he hasn't learned the independent skills and emotionally he's not mature enough, you might want to rethink college as the next step and maybe consider a gap year or a transition program. In addition to these three, you need to consider the impact that his learning, his disability has on his learning. What happens in the classroom? And how can it be handled? Would an academic coach or an ADHD coach help? Um, would a smaller class help? What would help the student be uh, benefit in his learning environment? The independent living skills, as we talked about, are very important. Getting up in the morning, getting to class, knowing where the cafeteria is. Social skills, 
Again, your child may be perfectly ready academically, but if he or she has difficulty in the social area, you need to make sure you're looking at colleges that will support students in the social area, that have social skills development, um, assistance, group activities. It's very important that that piece is addressed. You don't want your child spending weekends in his dorm room and just going to class. And lastly, motivation. Okay, children need to be motivated. And this brings us back to the first slide. If you're doing everything for your child and he's not that interested, again, think about your reasons for sending him to college right now. Maybe he needs a year to mature. As we know, the ADHD brain and the prefrontal cortex take a little longer to develop, and some students need that extra year of maturity before they're actually ready. Wonderful. Thank you, Ms. Bass. We, we have questions coming in. Melinda would like to know, do you have any suggestions for academic camps for raising juniors with ADHD? This is, of course, we're junior years when we're looking at colleges and we're looking at uh, transition skills. Yes, as a matter of fact, there are some very good summer programs. Uh, one program is offered at Landmark College, which helps students with the transition not only academically, but in the independent living skills as well, in the sense that they have to get up themselves and they have to get to class. Um, there are some other colleges that offer programs in the summers, and you can go on their websites to see. I believe that Curry College offers a one or two week junior to senior year. Um, Academic preparation is different than independent preparation, so you have to look and see what's being offered. Um, if you're looking for academic preparation, you might want to look at colleges that just offer, have academic summer schools, and that might be enough for your child. Our next question um, comes from Melanie, and she asks, how, to, how do you find specialty colleges which support continued development? Are they listed anywhere collectively? So again, this is how to find a college to support students in, that, in their transition from high school to the college situation. Well, there are a few resources. Um, there are a couple of books out. Called, one is K&W uh, Guide for Students with Learning Disabilities, and I believe Wintergreen Orchard House has one. There's also a website, uh, collegewebld.com, that my company um, has out that gives you the, the information on schools and what kind of support they have. Um, the best way is to start off with a list of schools and call the school and visit the learning specialist at the school because that's really the best way to know if that school has what your son or daughter needs. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Charity Parrish has a question. Uh, what is a gap year? This is a phrase that is kind of new to North America, but what is a gap year? How would you explain that? Well, a gap year is a year in which a student develops the skills necessary to go to college. Some students take gap years for a variety of reasons, but for a student who may not be ready for college emotionally, 
a gap year can help that student develop leadership skills, um, learn to trust his instincts, develop responsibility. And there are some really good gap year programs out there that are very structured for students with ADHD and that will really help them with learning to trust themselves and rely on themselves. Deborah has a question. She says that her high school junior son is insistent that he will only consider a large university. Do you have any advice for how he can find the greatest success in that environment? How does he advocate for himself in a large university? Well, uh, two things I would say to that. One is, before he decides on that school, I strongly recommend that he visit at a time when classes are in session and that he sit through one of those large lecture halls of two or three hundred students for the entire class period and ask himself if he can do that two or three times a week for the entire year. Because most students think of the fun part of the large university, but they don't think of the learning piece. So that would be my first suggestion. If he does go to a large university, again, I would go to the learning center and find out if there's a a mentor or a, an ADHD coach that's on staff that he can meet with on a regular basis so that he can stay on top of his work, not feel overwhelmed. Okay. Thank you. Beth was wondering, how do you transition a current IEP or a 504 plan to a university? Does, do parents and students need to have an intimate discussion with the learning support services at the university and give them a copy of the, copy of the current document? How does a student go about getting assistance on campus in that transition? Well, college falls under a different law. Colleges fall under ADA, whereas um, IDEA follows or is where K-12 um, falls under. And so you need um, full documentation for college. Um, most colleges will not accept an IEP or 504. However, there is a new ruling that is coming out by a head that may change that where they don't require this documentation that I just mentioned. So you may need to ask the college, but generally colleges require a full battery of tests the IEP and the 504 can be a supplement. And what you would do is you would meet with the learning specialist before deciding to go to that school. Once your child's been accepted, but before making the commitment. And sit down with the learning specialist and say, these are the things my son or daughter needs. Can you provide them? And how do you provide them? And make sure that it really is going to be the right support. Thank you. Phyllis has a question about a non-traditional student who went into the National Guard following high school and is now transitioning into college. Um, he's had mixed success, mixed results and mixed success. How do you advise navigating the stage of life transitioning into college from um, perhaps uh, the service? Well, that's, that's an interesting question. I think it would depend on the student and the student's age. There are some colleges that have programs specifically for people who are adults returning to college and they have a lot more in the way of support for those people. Um, I believe Marist College has one program like that. Guilford College is another one that has a program like that. Um, so you're in a university setting with students 
who have come back to school. Landmark also has a large um, an, an older age group than your typical college because there are people coming from all walks of life to go there. I guess the main thing again is to meet with someone in the counseling department or the learning department and talk about your needs and talk about your goals and make sure that you have a support person that's going to help you facilitate that. Thank you. Suki has a question for us. She asks, how does the student develop independent skills like getting up for school on time without unduly sacrificing the academic performance? That is a very good question. Um, it may affect the academic performance, but that's sort of the point of having the child do that now. While your child is going to high school, it's not costing you $30,000 for him to sleep through class. It's a good time to do that because it has to happen eventually. So the consequences are that your child might have a problem academically, but that's his or her responsibility to then figure out how to fix that. Um, and that's sort of the point of doing it in high school so that they learn that there are consequences and that they're responsible. One of the things I recommend is to start with one day a week and just tell your child, we are not waking you up on Wednesdays anymore. We're leaving and if you don't get up, you're going to miss your first period class. And I think in most cases I have found that that works when the student knows that you are not going to wake them up and you're not going to rush in at the last minute and save them, that they, they learn how to get up. In that transition and learning how to, as you said, get up and begin the day, um, there's a continuing interest in what a gap year is. Both Jan and Deborah um, asked for some suggestions on gap year programs and how to find them that would be beneficial in this transition time. Okay, um, the best way to find, there are programs that come around the country. There are gap year programs, gap year fairs, just like college fairs. Um, and I believe if you Google gap year fairs, you'll see this particular group of gap years that travel around the country and you can meet with the different programs. Um, that's one way. Another is um, very specifically, there are some gap years that do a wonderful job with students who have ADHD. One is called SOAR, S-O-A-R, in uh, North Carolina. Another one is Dynamy, which is an internship program in Worcester, Massachusetts. And those are just two examples of programs that are geared towards helping students learn to rely on themselves. And um, they use an empowerment model for students to really trust their instincts. So those are just two examples, but you can find gap year programs online. The questions you have to ask are, how structured are they? What kind of supervision is there? Because that's the important piece. Our next question um, is from Dennis. And he asks, what do you think about a homework coach at college level? Typically, a young person meets with a student a couple times a week to help them stay accountable for completing assignments and studying for tests. Again, coaching on the, on the college level. What is your thoughts on this? And how would someone go about finding an effective coach? Um, that is, I think, an excellent idea. All students with ADHD um, who use coaches have great success in college because they have someone helping them stay on track. Um, and if they continue with it, it's, it's very, very advantageous to them. Um, 
many colleges now have ADHD coaches on staff because they're recognizing the need for this. Aside from that, there are academic coaches that you can find throughout the country that work with college students. There is an organization that certifies coaches, um, and I believe their website is um, jstcoach.com, J S is in Sam, T is in Tom, coach.com, and there you can find lists of coaches that might be in your area. And um, a lot of times they do come on the campus and they'll meet with the student. But the first way to, to find out about it is to ask the college itself. Bruce asks a question, how do we look for off-campus resources where a child needs support not offered by the college? Colleges are very good at assisting students, but there are some things that perhaps they don't offer. How do students and perhaps their parents look for those resources? The first place I would go is the Disability Services Department at the college and ask them if they have any referral resources for off-campus. Uh, many colleges provide those um, resources because they don't provide the services themselves. In addition, you can ask some of the learning specialists if they would be willing to do some individual work with the student um, and be paid outside of school, be paid outside of what their, their job is at the school. Uh, sometimes that's an option. So basically it's word of mouth and asking people at the college. Dawn has a question to follow up on that. Um, she asks, what can her student expect from her college as far as academic accommodations and support? And also, is there any difference between a public school or a private school when it comes to support and accommodations on campus? Okay. Every college by law has to offer accommodations, but the level at which they offer them varies tremendously. It's very important that you check out the college and the support that they offer before going there, before deciding to go there, because on paper it may all look the same, but in, in practice it could be very different. So in terms of public versus private, I think it's really a matter of funding that some college admission uh, ad administrations put more of an emphasis and put more funding into the learning center. Um, some private, some public colleges do a very good job. Um, so I wouldn't say there's a difference public versus private in that sense, but you do find that more private colleges have additional support people on staff. Um, that being said, you do need to ask about the types of accommodations that are offered. I'll give you a quick example. A note taker um, may be offered on two campuses. On one campus, the note taker is someone who's chosen anonymously in the class and who brings his or her notes to the learning center where your child and several others go pick up the notes for their class anonymously. And that's a service that's provided. In another college, you might be told that you need to find your own note taker and we will pay, the university will pay for the copying. Okay, both of those say they have note takers. Okay, which one is more likely to follow through? Which student's going to keep asking for his or her notes? Um, on, that, on the line of note takers and so forth, Susan has a question. 
Are there any tools for assisting students to learn organizational skills? Everything from organizing course materials and their notebooks to their personal items. How do we prepare students and teach them organizational skills from high school to college? The best way is modeling. And if you can set up a structured environment in your home, helping them get everything organized in the home, um, that's beneficial. Um, if that's not possible, then I would hire an outside ADHD coach or uh, a life coach. And that person can come in and work with your child and help your child figure out a system that works for him. The key is finding something that works for the individual, not to impose something that works for someone else. Um, and that way the student can internalize it after using it. But the best way is to start in high school and learning these skills. Wonderful. Phyllis has another question. Um, many high school, uh, many college students have a great interest in video games, and uh, college is definitely a time for regular sleep patterns. How does a student organize themselves in order to accommodate or compensate for these? Do you have any advice in this area for transitioning from high school to college and dealing with an interest in video games and other events? Well, the first thing I would suggest is not bringing the video game uh, console to college so that at least it's not in the dorm room if it exists on campus elsewhere. That would be a little bit less um, uh, tempting. Um, but again, it's a matter of scheduling time. What I recommend is that the student who has difficulty juggling activities and um, schoolwork make sure that student is working with an academic coach or an ADHD coach and if the student can schedule his week, even his unstructured time, he's more likely to find the time to study. So even if from 5 to 7 every evening is free time, that's scheduled free time. So that's when he or she can play video games. But at 7 o'clock, the schedule says it's time to study. So they might really need a written schedule to take them through the week. Thank you. When you, uh, Suzanne has a question also about uh, transition, and how do you find colleges that support social skills that can help a student through that transition process? Well, um, going through the resources that are available, um, some may list which colleges offer social support. It's uh, becoming more and more common to find it on college campuses, but it's really not um, that readily available yet. And um, as I mentioned, um, collegewebld.com has a list of the schools that have social support and a little bit about the type of support they offer. That's one place as a start, but you still need to go to the college itself and ask, how does this work? Um, do I have to apply for a program? Is this something that's available to all students? So really the best way is once you can identify the schools, is to go and, and speak to them directly. Fran asks um, how to best identify a student's potential skills or their strengths when they're looking at careers uh, both um, academically or perhaps through career training. Is there a particular test or assessment or an approach you would recommend in identifying those strengths to help a student choose a career or a course of study? 
there are. There's one program for those of you whose children have Naviance Family Connections at their, at their high schools. Many of them have a product called Do What You Are. And it's a Myers-Briggs type assessment. And it also gives you a list of careers and majors based on the student's personality and interests. So that's one way. There are some other inventories that um, you can find a career counselor who would be able to administer those. Um, that would be another way. Um, another way to do it is internships. Having your child uh, do a volunteer activity in something he thinks he might like, and that would let him know if he really does like it or not. Our next question comes from Linda. And she has a daughter who is interested in, again, going to a large university. And she mentions that her daughter deals with uh, the short-term memory problems that are inherent with ADHD in young adults. Again, she's looking for ways on helping her daughter be organized and helping her daughter uh, with things such as checking her email, because so much information in, in college comes through email. What would you suggest there? Well, one of the ways to make sure that things happen on a schedule is a timer on a watch. So if you have a timer that goes off at 5.30 every day and that says, you know, check my email, um, it can be one for medicine. You can have a timer for several times a day. That's one option. Another is, again, scheduling everything that the student does from the beginning of the day to the end of the day and meeting with a coach on a weekly basis to just check in and make sure that they're following through. There are some coaches that work with students by Skype or phone, and they do a daily check-in. That would be another way for the coach to say, just by, by a phone call, have you checked your email? Have you taken care of X, Y, and Z that you said you would? And also by articulating what they want to do the next day, that evening, helps them set the plan for what they're going to do the next day. Thank you. Don has a question. Um, students in, who are juniors, students who are seniors, they are looking for colleges. They haven't yet applied. How do the students and their parents go about uh, researching and looking for universities and colleges that are accommodating to students who have ADHD who can help them with the transition? Um, well, the best way, as I said earlier, there are some books and websites that can give you a starting point. You also might want to look at um, finding an educational consultant that works specifically with that population. Um, the IECA website, it's IECAonline.com, has a list of qualified educational consultants throughout the country and lists whether or not they are um, specialized or have the ability to work with students with learning differences. Um, as educational consultants, we visit all the colleges across the country and we get to know what they offer. So that could be a starting point as well to at least identify the schools that would be right for your child. Avalyn has a question. She says that she and her student have been looking at college and programs, colleges and various programs to help with transitioning to college, but she notes that they are expensive. Wouldn't the transition be longer than a single program before he starts college? I think what she's looking for is how to begin the transition on an average family's budget in a way that works well for the student, for their student. Okay, so, so the question would be how to um, help the student transition without spending a lot of money for a program, I guess. 
um, yes, many of us are on tight budgets, and that's one thing parents are, do need to consider. So you can do this yourself um, as parents by thinking about all of the things that need to happen and just working on it as a family. So if the first week is waking up in the morning by yourself, you work on that for a while. If it's taking medicine, you can step by step wean yourself away and have your child start taking meds himself. Um, hiring a person to come maybe once a week just to work on those skills in terms of organization and time management and how to create a schedule. Um, students have, uh, those students who have a phone that has um, scheduling capabilities in it can learn to program their phone. Um, one thing that always helps is if the family has a meeting on Sunday night for the week's worth of activities and everyone sits down with their planner and makes sure that everyone knows what's happening in the family that week, once you've told your child that he has a dentist appointment on Wednesday, that becomes his responsibility to come back to you and say, today's my dentist appointment. Who's picking me up? How am I going to get there? So that's another way to teach independence is by giving the students their responsibilities. And again, the consequences are they, if they miss the appointment, they have to call and, and apologize for missing their appointment. But again, it's all learning. And sometimes students need to practice everything in order to learn it. Thank you. Along the lines of that practice, Jen asks, how much independence and or support should students be allowed in college admission process? This would be researching schools, applications, taking the SAT, the ACT, arranging college visits. How much should a, a student lead and how much should a parent assist? Uh, that's a good question. It depends on your child. If your child is really showing interest and wants to be involved, but does need a little help getting started or is too uncomfortable to make phone calls, then the parent can be involved to the extent that the parent needs to be involved. Um, if you know that your child is capable of doing more on their own, then you want to encourage that. I mean, of course, students who have learning issues need a lot more support than students who have all the organization skills down. So there is some level of assistance but it should be balanced with the student being the lead in the process. So if the student says, Mom, I'd like to go visit these colleges. Can you set that up? That's fine. Whereas if the parent says, I'd like to go visit these colleges. What do you think? And the student says, I'll let you know. Then the parent should not go ahead and make the plans. The parent should say, OK, well, when you let me know, we'll make the plans. So it really depends. It, it's got to be a good balance. Again, Julia is excited to tell us that her son is beginning college in September, and she would like to know what your top tips are. OK. The top tip for me is meeting with the learning specialist, either at orientation or at some other point in the summer, well before college starts, having your son or daughter connect with someone in the learning center so that he or she feels that he, he or she has an advocate, making sure all the accommodations are set up and in place, and for your son or daughter to know what services are available and how to access them. That is the key to being successful is the students who use the supports that are available have a higher success rate than the average student in the college 
who doesn't use support, whether or not they have learning issues. There are many colleges that track the students who use their learning services, and they have a higher retention rate in general than the general population. That would be the first thing. The second is to be sure that your son meets with his professors the very first week of class, takes the letter of accommodations, and tells the professor what he needs. If he needs to sit in the front of the class or if he needs time before answering questions, the more that the student can communicate with the professor, the more likely he is to have a successful experience. Thank you. Pamela says that she would like to become a doctor, and she also has ADHD, and she would like to know if there are any accommodations for the MCAT, and I think this also goes to many students who are preparing to go to college who are in the application process. What are the accommodations, or how does one get accommodations for the standardized tests? The accommodations for the MCATs, I understand, are very difficult to get. I do not work with graduate school. But I know that they are available, and I know that students have gotten them. And hopefully by the time you go to medical school, you will, th things will be a little easier on that level. In terms of the SAT and ACT, as long as you've been using accommodations in school and your school acknowledges that you've been using them, most students are able to get extended time. The standard extended time is time and a half. Some students who use 100% extended time might get that also. The SAT offers two options, extended time all in one day, which is a time and a half, that makes the test about six hours, or if you get 100%, you can take the test in two days, half each day. The ACT offers extended time as well, but they also offer something called multiple day testing, where they give you a two-week window in which to take each section on a separate day. And that's a very, very good accommodation for someone who has difficulty sitting for any length of time. In addition to extended time, there are accommodations such as a computer for the essay portion, uh, answering in the test booklet rather than the Scantron sheet, extended breaks for students who might have issues that they don't need extended time, they just need extra time in between. And I think those are pretty much the main types of accommodations that are offered. We've come to our last question, and our last question is from Brittany. And her question is, should parents have any input in extracurricular activities that a student participates in? In college students, I'm sorry, in high school, students are very, parents are very active in helping their students pick out activities. When it comes to the college level, how active should parents be in helping them choose activities? Again, I think that depends on the child. Once you're at the college level, you should get involved with activities that interest you, because that's the idea of being in college, is to follow your passion, follow your interests. So if, you, if your parent wants you to do something, but you're not interested in it, then you should do what interests you, because you're the one who's doing the activity. Um, again, this all depends on the reason for this. If you're the kind of person who doesn't do any activities, then it is 
good for your parent to try to encourage you to do some things that you enjoy. Um, but if you don't enjoy something, then there's no purpose in being involved with it. Wonderful. Thank you, Ms. Bass, for participating and being with us today. This has been a terrific experience for our participants. Thank you. If you have any additional questions, please contact us at the National Research Center on ADHD. We would be happy to answer any questions that you have, and our health information specialists would be very happy to talk with you. Thank you. And in addition, if I could just let you know if you have any questions for me directly that you would like to send me in an email, you can go to my website, basseducationalservices.com, and feel free to um, send me any questions that you have. Thank you very much, and we want to thank uh, Ms. Bass for participating, and we hope everyone has a good afternoon.